Well, I want to welcome all of you that are with us this morning, either here live at the North Richland Hills campus or all of you that literally around the world watch us every week online. Thank you for joining us. Uh, I hope you were here with us this past weekend or watched online. I love Easter weekend. It's my favorite weekend of the year. And we started this series called Alive and Free. And the idea that I launched last week is that Jesus, the resurrection and the life, doesn't just want to save us from our sins, but he wants to break all the chains and the bondages that we have lived in. In other words, he did not just say to Lazarus, come out of the tomb, but he said, get out of the grave clothes. So for the next few weeks, we're going to consider how the resurrection of Jesus can set us free from some of the things in the past that enslaved us. And each week, I'm going to prepare discussion questions. You just have to go to thehills.org slash alive. I know a lot of you like to follow up on the teaching either in your small group or with family devotionals. So they will be prepared every week. They're already online for this lesson. And I hope you'll take advantage of that. Because I love preaching resurrection. Easter really is my favorite weekend of the year. Now, everybody knows the second greatest weekend of the whole year is Master's Weekend. And if you love Jesus, you will spend many hours today watching the tournament because you believe in the new heaven and the new earth, and you know that the new earth is going to look like Augusta National, and we're all going to get to play there. Now, I know for some of you, that's not the most important sporting weekend of the year. For some of you, opening day of baseball is. And so, if you are a Ranger fan, you are so looking forward to opening day next year. <laughs> because this year's over, okay? I played a lot of baseball as a boy and loved the game. I wasn't big enough to play football. And I came across a piece of someone that compared the differences in the two games that I found enlightening. Football, you might notice, is played on a gridiron, but baseball is played at a park. Doesn't that sound more fun? In football, you wear a helmet. In baseball, you get to wear a cap. In football, a specialist comes in to kick something. In baseball, the specialist comes in to relieve somebody. Doesn't that sound nicer? In football, you give somebody a stiff arm. In baseball, you get to slide. That's a lot more fun. But the biggest difference in the two games is that football has a very military objective. You have the quarterback, who is the field general, down in the trenches, seeking to evade the blitz, softening up the enemy line with pounding ground attack, aerial bombardment. He's throwing bullet passes, occasionally going for the bomb so he can penetrate the enemy defense and reach the end zone. In baseball, the object is to go home, which is a beautiful thing. And I believe much of the groaning and the frustration we experience in the world that we're not even able sometimes to articulate is an unconscious homesickness. We often don't notice, but some of the very first words of God to man in the garden were, you are free. You're free to eat anything in here. Now, he gave him one limit, and we can talk about that later. 
But we focus sometimes on the limit and we forget the first part, which is the most important part. God created us to live home free. And right now we don't. And that's why Easter matters, because the resurrection of Jesus is heaven's announcement that things on earth will be right again someday. But it is also heaven's promise and power that we can start being who we are created to be right now. In other words, someday we know that with the return of Christ, the whole creation will experience liberation. But we can start experiencing freedom now. We can begin heading home free. But there's a couple of traps keeping us stuck. And I want to share with them before we begin what they are. First, I think some of us decide that bondage isn't real. We deny that it exists. And the hardest chains to break are the ones never acknowledged. And many years in ministry have taught me that when somebody says to me, I don't have a problem, there almost always is a problem. And the path to freedom must include ruthless personal honesty. That's why the Bible says, for example, in 1 John, if we say we have no sin, we're just fooling ourselves and the truth isn't in us that's why when we had the performance of the thorn here about a month ago my favorite part was when we had a moment to write on a card something that we wanted to leave at the cross and hundreds of people got up from their seats and went to the crosses and left something and I got to see what they were in fact I have designed this series to respond to the things that were mentioned most often Because people said, I want to be free of my anger. I want to be free of my greed. I want to be free of my bitterness. I want to be free of my lust or my depression. And I'm so thankful they had the courage to admit it. Because you can't get where you want to be if you won't admit where you are. And so, next week... In the service, I'm going to create a time where you can write on a card something where you would like to experience more freedom. And here's the thing. We often can't see it. We often need Holy Spirit revelation because life has taught us to be blind to and to be numb to our bondage to cope with it. So this next week, I'm serious. I'd like you to pray. Lord, would you please reveal to me an area of my life Where I'm dealing with some bondage that I may not even be aware of. That might be where you are. But my guess is that most of you are in a different place. For most of you, the issue isn't the necessity of freedom. The issue is the possibility of freedom. Because you tried to break free. You tried to stop losing your temper. You tried to stop worrying so much or being such a people pleaser, and it didn't go well. And so you exchanged try hard and fail for 
Stop trying and fake it. And for you, the trap is deciding that freedom doesn't exist. We live in a world where decay seems to rule the day. And in such a world, it's hard not just to lower our expectations and just say bondage is normal. Yeah, I know Jesus is raised from the dead and I believe he's forgiven me of my sins, but I'm just never going to get free of this for the rest of my life. And so we talk about freedom, we just don't think it's real. If you were to go to New Hampshire, you'd see on a license plate the phrase live free or die, the famous motto of the state from the Revolutionary War hero John Stark. And the irony is that license plate was made by an inmate in prison. And so we proclaim freedom, we just don't think it's real. And so we receive salvation, we're going to heaven, but we go through hell, shuffling through life. In our grave clothes. But Jesus didn't say, I will be the resurrection and the life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And if that's true, then while we wait for his return, we don't have to wait in a cell. The risen Christ in us. Is greater than anything that is on us. And it's hard to believe this. I understand. Even Paul said, I don't do what I want to do. I I do what I don't want to do. He says in Romans 7, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. And I believe that. And you've heard me say, I believe that God who loves you just where you are, loves you too much to let you stay there. Because he created you to be home free. And this God is greater than any stone, than any locked door, than any chain. And we can get home free, but we have to admit we're neither, that we're not fully home and we're not Fully free. And that's where a story Jesus told helps us. He said, a father had two boys, and the youngest one came to him and said, could I have my inheritance now? That's a stunning request and an insult. He's basically saying, Dad, you're not dead soon enough. And even more stunning is that the father granted the request. He gave him the deed to his property. Well, you can't buy beer with a deed. So that boy took the land that had been in that family for generations and sold it for cash. And he took off to the border, and everybody knows what a young boy with a lot of cash heading to the border is going to do, and he did it. And he was the life of the party and a popular young man until the money ran out. And by the way, one thing I have noticed is that when the money runs out, the friends run off. And he's got nothing. And he has to do what to his culture was the greatest of insults. Work in the mud with pigs. He's in bondage. But then the story takes a turn. When he came to his senses, 
He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. He started a trip that every person I've ever known that found freedom made because of three decisions he made. Here's number one. I've not been thinking straight. Jesus said he came to his senses. And that is so big because the battle for freedom must be won in the mind. The enemy is a deceiver. He is a liar from the beginning. And the way he gets us to exchange our freedom for bondage is to deceive us. That's why Jesus said, the truth will make you free. Because behind all bondage is a lie. Now, this is so huge that I am going to spend an entire sermon on it next week. And I am giving no excused absences. You have to hear this teaching. Because what we want to do when we find someone in bondage is address behavior. Not realizing the behavior is motivated by a lie. And until you have a breakthrough, there's never going to be a breakout. For example, the workaholic man who's never around his family is who he is because what he believes He bought the lie that what he has is who he is. So you can change his behavior. You can tell him to go home at 5 o'clock every day and not work on the weekend. But he's not really home. He's on his phone constantly. He's checking his emails. His mind is constantly back at that office. Because he's in bondage due to a lie. And so in our 1 million chapters reading, I've... A week or two ago was in First and Second Timothy. And a verse jumped out to me in a way I had not noticed before in the second letter. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Now listen, a lot of people oppose the truth and don't know they're doing it. They're not being belligerent. They're just living contrary to the truth and don't even know they are. Because the lie has so possessed their thinking. Okay, so he says, perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Now, notice what is the result of getting your thinking straight? Here's what he says. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap. For they have been held captive by him. To do whatever he wants. How is Satan putting people in bondage? He is messing up their thinking. And there's no lie. With which he has enslaved more people. Than the lie. I'm missing something. Because I can't. And you can fill in the blank. It was the original lie that caused our original parents to lose their original home. 
Satan wants us to believe that a life of obedience to God leads to a life of lack. That God is holding out on us. And the path to bondage always starts with the pursuit of a perceived need. And Satan gives us these brochures of the far country and they are glossy and they look so good. But they lie because they never show you the end of the trip. And almost all of us have known the grief of someone we love that started down the road that only ends in bondage and we knew where that road was going but we couldn't stop them from going because their thinking wasn't straight. And so recovery groups say they need to hit bottom which can be a good thing because sometimes it can jar the mind. And when you start thinking straight, you stop making excuses. Like that young man who said, I must not blame anything or anyone else. He went home prepared to say, I have sinned. Okay, if you're in bondage, you're probably fluent at excusing by accusing. You're very good at explaining your bondage because of someone or something out there. This boy could have blamed his older brother for being such a self-righteous hypocrite. Or his dad for not giving him more of the estate. Or his friends from running off when he ran out of money. Or even God for letting there be a famine that messed up the economy. But when he got his thinking straight, he looked straight in the mirror. And admitted the problem. Now listen to me. You cannot blame your way to freedom. Because at its core, freedom is an inside job. That's why Paul and Silas could be in a prison in Philippi in chains. And still be more free than the jailer who is watching them. It is a lie to say if somebody would just fix that. And if somebody would just fix them. Then I wouldn't. No. Because freedom is not a change of your circumstances. As much as it is the capacity to be who God created you to be regardless of your circumstances. You can be free from fear regardless of whether the cancer goes into remission. You can be free from worry no matter what the economy does this year. You can be free from bitterness, whether or not the person that hurt you ever says they're sorry. But Satan will always provide you a reason to stay in prison. So you can just sit there and nurse your bondage and curse 
your bondage. And rehearse your bondage to whoever will listen. But after a while, people will get tired of listening. Or you can reverse your bondage. Like the young man who said, I do not have to stay here. I don't have to stay where I am. I will set out. So he got up. That young man decided the reality of his present didn't have to be the only possibility for his future. There's a show on TV called Mythbusters. And in a recent episode, these two people took these old dogs. They were Alaskan Malamutes that are famous for being stubborn. And in just four days, they had those dogs sitting, shaking hands, lying down, rolling over. What myth did they bust? Well, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Yes, you can. No matter how long you have been there, you don't have to stay there. The way things are do not have to be the way things stay if Jesus really is the resurrection and the life. And notice that that boy did not get all cleaned up first. Because Jesus did not say, come to me all who have their act together. So I'm going to say it again. You don't get free and then come to Jesus. You come to Jesus and you get free. And you still need to treat that. And so why do people stay stuck? Why do saved people who have been brought from the deadness of their sins into life in Christ, who are going to heaven, live? Stuck in the mud. There could be many reasons, but I think the chief one is this. If you've been in prison a long time, you start to think that where you are is who you are. Well, I've just always had a bad temper. My family's always had this problem. There's nothing I can do about this. just who I am. And the world will give you a label. And by the way, sadly, often Christians will too. You ever noticed we typically label people by what they were more than who they are? In fact, we don't even call it the parable of the son who came home. We call it the parable of the prodigal. We don't call her the woman who got forgiven, we call her the woman caught in adultery. And so we live with these labels. And we let where we are become who we are. But the gospel is more powerful than any label. And the gospel invites every prisoner to come home to a father who is waiting to provide everything that the lie said you lacked and so let's let Jesus finish the story but while he was still a long way off now I gotta stop he was a long way off from where he needed to be a long way off from who he needed to be he was a long way off from who that father had prayed he would be ever since he was a baby 
He was a long way off. But the father saw him. And he was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. You know what I've learned? Most people in bondage don't give up believing in God. They believe the lie that God has given up on them. Even this boy on his way back still thinks like a slave. But the father will only let his children return one way. Home free. This son of mine is home. And here's freedom's first step. I don't know what your bondage is. I don't know where your struggle is. I know this. The first step to freedom is claiming your true identity. Because who you think you are in the present is going to affect where you wind up in the future. That's why last fall, I love the story I heard. Uh, The best defensive player in the NFL plays for the Houston Texans. His name is J.J. Watt. And he's used to people constantly asking him to sign something. But last fall, he got a letter and a jersey from seven-year-old Anthony Tarantelli, who loves to play football. He's very good for his age. And he said, I am sending you my autographed jersey so you will know who I am when I'm a famous football player. (laughs) And I love the idea that who you think you are determines where you think you're going to go. Let the Father tell you who you are. You are not who you used to be. This is hard for us to believe. This is a huge faith step that the Holy Spirit has to help us take because we want to think that's where I've been, that's what I've done, that's who I am. No, you are not who you used to be. You are who God is recreating you in Jesus Christ to be. So really, in some level, we need to stop trying to fix who we were. We need to start releasing who we are. God is doing a work in you that is more powerful than any chain. So claim it by faith and start to walk like a free person. You ever walk through electronic doors? They're closed. They look shut. But you walk in faith toward them and what happens? They open. And you can do that. You can begin in the power of the Spirit to walk Consistent with who God says you are. And not what bondage says you used to be. Because God isn't just wanting us home. He's wanting us home free. And when you get a sense of who he really is. You're not going to stay where you are. Bow your heads please. What's the spirit trying to say to you right now? What word does God want you to hear right now that will help you come to your senses?
imagine the prodigal's pilgrimage home, retracing each short-sighted step back through the distant country, through the time and the money, past all the choices you can never take back, wondering, how will my father react? When that mess of mud-covered hair crests the horizon, a fair father would sit back and wait. But our father isn't fair, and he doesn't hesitate. He runs out to us, unafraid to display his pure joy. And it doesn't matter where we've been or that our pig pen sin makes us reek. This delirious dad grabs us close and plants kisses on our cheek, clothing us, claiming us, and naming us as his own. Most of all, a fair father would sneak us in the back door, not wanting to relive the public scandal from before, disdaining the din of a neighbor's derisive laugh. But our father isn't fair. So he kills the fattened calf and with great pride invites every neighbor within sight. Come one, come all, it's gonna be a good night. It's a celebration unrivaled, a communal joy unbridled, making this prodigal's pilgrimage home an unforgettable arrival. Thank God our God doesn't give us what we deserve. When we come back ready to play the hired hand and serve, when we show up with a plan and a script and try to sew up the relationship we so swiftly ripped, when we slink home broken and pitifully attempt to repair the bridge we so readily burn, thank God our God doesn't give us what we've earned. Instead, Instead, through his Holy Spirit, he gives us an awakening, and suddenly we hear it. His still, small voice calling us to open our eyes, to choose brutal honesty over whitewashed lies, to admit aloud when we are starving to death, to let voice and breath make the truth known, and finally to act, to get up and run home. It is time to run home to a father whose forgiveness is unfazed by your failures, whose provision outlasts your prodigal problems, whose healing overwhelms your heavy heartbreak, and whose mercy overcomes your many mistakes. For God's only one and faithful son faced death on a tree and rose again on day three that you and I might be grafted into this heavenly family, that we might rest in his recklessly generous grace, knowing our Savior has gone ahead and he is preparing our place. So prodigal sons and daughters, stand to your feet. Come on, stand to your feet. Lift your voice to this Father who is running to meet you. Sing out in response. Reach up and receive the redemption he's promised, the rescue we need. For he's not only our Father, he is our eternal King, whose Son took up a cross and robbed death of its sting. And a moment of mercy in this Father's arms changes everything. And oh, I'm running to your arms, I'm running to your arms, 
team, would you take your place upstairs and downstairs? And uh, as we continue to worship, I'm going to ask you to take the hardest step of freedom, the first one. The first one's always the hardest. And come and share a need. Come and confess a sin. Come and ask for help. Come and complain. Uh, come and claim Christ and be baptized. Start the journey. Take the first step because the Father has already started running toward you. Please come. Please come.